In roller derby, holding space is an empowering, often intimidating act of strength and strategy for oneself and or teammates. Holding Space, the podcast, clears the floor for conversations that touch upon race, class, identity, and privilege to amplify stories, build community, and make more connections in the skate world. This is Holding Space with Magical Wheelism. Welcome. up y'all this episode is a mercury retrograde special and by that i mean it was recorded at a time in which 2020 still held the promise of competitive roller derby play and since the astrologers say that now's a good time to pull out all of the things that you have and review and revise and repurpose i felt like this fascinating interview would fit the bill anyway So like I was saying, this was recorded in January of 2020 before Miss Rona brought her sorry raggedy butt into town. And well, you know the rest of the story. Kayo Kenzie is a trained neuroscientist who also happens to jam for Montreal Roller Derby's charter squad, New Kids. And while the competitive season is kaput, her interest and passion for brain safety is a boon for us all and we should always listen whenever she feels like speaking about the dome from the dome especially all y'all newbies out there who be on your tiktoks and your instas sans protective gear grandma magic isn't really feeling that so y'all especially take note Anywho, when she agreed to come on and talk brain safety accessibility in our sport, I had no idea that I'd be meeting an athlete who travels about five hours back and forth to Derby, even to a practice that started at 7.45 a.m., 11 out of 12 months a year. Y'all, that's love. And whose backstory illustrates that she's always been the drummer and marcher of her own beat. Enjoy. You work in Ottawa? Yes, yes. I work and live in Ottawa, and I commute to Montreal for practice. And that's two hours, according to Google. (laughs) Yes, it is two hours when there is no traffic. That is incredible. And you drive (laughs) or take public transit? I drive. There isn't really a super efficient way to take public transit. I used to have a carpool partner, but now I do it alone. So I'm testing out some new things uh, this year with that. Really but, yeah. So that's, that would be <laughs> like commuting from NYC to Philly and back. Wow. When I leave work and go through rush hour to get there and then come back at night, it's probably about a five hour like round trip in a total. This year I'm trying to drive their one way sleep there the night at like a teammate's house and then drive back in the morning. And I tried that this morning and it was okay. I think it might be easier on my body, but we're figuring it out. <laughs> to sure. Go along kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Cause like what time would you yeah. make it home otherwise? It depends if I like dilly dally or like stretch after practice, but it's been as late as like after midnight before, sometimes even close to like 1am, depending on what time I leave Montreal. But like most of the time I would say it was around midnight or like 1130 kind of thing. So you all wrap practice at what time? 
it's from seven to nine and yeah. And I leave work around three ish, get my stuff. And then I get there like a little bit earlier than practice though. Cause like, I like to do like a full, like off skate warm up and mentally prep and stuff. And, and then actually get into the, the practice. Uh, it'd be pretty brutal to practice after driving for two hours or two and a half hours. Wow. That makes sense. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. So wow. The dedication. And this has been, how long have you been with Montreal? I started with Montreal in 2018. I transferred there end of February, 2018. So this is my going to be my third year. It feels like so much so, longer. Yeah. <laughs> I know it really does. I was thinking about that and I was like, thinking about my history with the league and then I was like oh man yeah I guess it's you know it really was just two it's really only been two years like I haven't even I really just started the the third year but so much happens in like a month in derby I find yeah it feels like forever so okay so I kind Mm -hmm. of we kind of leapt into your derby present day but do you want (laughs) to tell me your derby history (laughs) and your derby origin story it's, see, it's a little bit unremarkable. It's funny. So I, um, I lived in a, a house and um, I was making friends with my one of my neighbors and we played uh, recreational ultimate frisbee, like in kind of like a, in a, like a recreational league where the tagline was recess for adults. <laughs> and so it was just for like meeting people and stuff like that. And on the team also someone who ended up being her roommate was someone who played roller derby and uh, there's a guy with Morrison from uh, Team Canada and there's another guy that used to be on um, the Team Canada men's team and uh, one day they're like hey there's like fresh meat starting like do you guys want to like go to an info night and oh yeah and, and my uh, my good friend Renee Labrasse um, who was also on the skids with me and we were both the captains last year she was also on it and we didn't really super know each other super well but we were both like oh yeah sure we both like skated before so why don't we just go try it and then we just we just started with the Capital City Derby Dolls, and yeah, we learned, we picked it up pretty fast. Like I have a background in figure skating, and she has a background in hockey. So like the laps, like immediately, were like extremely easy. But we just had like no body like awareness for other things. And she was probably better than me. I was a figure skater. She's a hockey player, so she's used to like tracking people. I was just like <laughs> spinning around and, and I'd never done a contact sport. So I was like, whoa, but it was like really, I just remember that moment of like, I'd never got to hit someone and I had so much, not like aggression, but like so, so much pent up, just like things that I've never gotten out of my body. And I'm sure a lot of that's like trauma informed and just like being able to be empowered by that. It was like, I don't know, it's almost an addictive like feeling of like being, I don't even know if it's addictive. It's like, maybe that's what the feeling of like normalcy is, but I was just so used to like the below normal, but like feeling in command of my body and my presence and, and everything like that. It was just like whoa like I wish I played a contact sport younger like I went to an arts high school and I played rugby for I don't know five minutes but because I was in figure skating at the time my mom was like do not play this sport at the same time as this other sport because you could jeopardize what you're you're working on 
and also I'm, and my mom at every opportunity is like, if you don't like the sport you're in, like you can stop because we did not have a lot of money. <laughs> like, I'm not pushing you to do anything. I'm happy for you, but just so you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you ever feel like stopping, you can stop. <laughs> so then, yeah, the year that we, so that was 2014 that we joined the the league and we were doing like our, our minimum skills and everything. I failed my minimum skills once or twice. I failed on baseball slides. And the first time I also failed on backwards skating. And I was just like, that just fueled me to, to work on my bathroom backwards skating like so hard. And then that year we went to the Fresh and the Furious uh, tournament, which is like a tournament held in Toronto every year that's just for rookie skaters. All the teams are you can't have been um, playing roller derby for more than a year. So it's like, that that amazing. Was like a, oh my God, it was such a hype vibe. It was, it was, it was truly amazing. Like, like it's, it was so different than every other derby experience because we both got drafted to like the 18 quite early, but you know, we didn't have a, like much derby knowledge. And there was a lot of like, I don't know if there was like resentment or just like, we felt like pretty bullied in, in the atmosphere. Like we just didn't feel like super welcome. And like, cr- I cried a lot after practice. I met some people later that like I could lean on, but like, I just was just like, I don't think I belong here. Like, but then going into this like rookie tournament, like, you know, everyone's on the same page. There's like, everyone's just going for like, they're all, there's no weird feelings. It's just like, wow, you just started skating. Wow. You just started skating. Oh my God. We all just started skating. Like it was, it's just like such a high vibe. And, and you have like all your league mates that have been to that tournament before that are either watching you from home because it's like broadcast or they're there and you just feel so supported. And it's this one day tournament that you start out with just 30 minute games and it's like a, an, a double elimination bracket. Oh and goodness, so broadcasted <laughs> I know, rookie derby I know. tournament. Oh, oh, it's so Canada. oh, I love it so much. I, I watch it every year because it's so, it's so exciting to see people in their like first like big thing and just and just just with each other on the track like there's no one leading them there's like they're just out there and they're just doing their thing and it's it's just amazing so yeah we went into that tournament with like no expectations we were a league with like absolutely no background of like doing well in that tournament I don't know if we ever I think we'd won a game but I don't think we'd ever progressed like through the day and every time we won a game we were like I just remember our coach Bella who's uh still on the all-stars here in Ottawa was like okay this game is going to be the hardest game of your derby career (laughs) like our short little derby careers and we just kept going through the day and we got to like the bronze medal game and she said it again this game's going to be really hard we ended up playing Toronto roller derby who's like excellent and then held in Toronto so it's like their home turf and we beat them and we're like oh my god we're going to the gold medal game and there was this like super hype game we were matched up against um a team from Quebec that was kind of a mishmash of people from like Montreal and and other teams around who were like the favorites to win and I the last jam of the game we're like down by I think it was we were down by um like three points or something like that or four points and I was jamming and oh my god I'm like getting heart palpitations talking about this <laughs> and we go and like the somebody on my line uh Edmonton like hits up or other person out and they'd made a plan in French and they were talking about it but like we're from Ottawa so we also speak French and like I just remember at the very first uh, second, like I, like as the whistle blew, I told the, I told someone what they were going to do. And they were just like, I'll say the plan, I'll say the plan. Like she knows the plan. And it was just like this like, <laughs> crazy moment. 
And then I got lead. I came around and I like super, I like super carefully and very slowly went through the pack. I was so terrified of like getting a penalty because like I didn't know all the rules yet. Like I back then I was getting penalties for like going to the penalty box the wrong way, standing up too early in the penalty box, just like looking the wrong way. Like, because that's what happens at the rookie tournament. There's all these like random penalties because people just don't know the rules. Um, and we got the, we got the points. I just remember looking and we called it off and like, we just like won the whole thing. And it was just like, man like that so that was the start of my derby career that was like such an intense uh moment so me and lebrasse went through that together and then i was on the dolly rogers which is the capital city derby dolls they had it wasn't a wtda league at first but they got the status a couple of years in and then the leagues in ottawa went through a merger process and i was since my second year in derby i was been on like the board of directors of the um the league that's in uh, in Ottawa and we went through this like long merger process where we did all these like community consultations and we did these working groups we did hundreds of hours of, of meetings to get to a point where we like we were voting on proposals then we revised the proposals for like every single aspect of what the new league could look like and then we it voted it got voted in and then at the start of 2018 um the new league kind of formed and I was a part of that and it was also around the time of the world cup and I remember going to the world cup and having seen I actually watched um champs live both in um in Portland and in Philly and I I remember I saw Sarah Chambers and she was an athlete that transferred from a division three league to a division one league and I was like wow she kind of like a lot of the way she skates, like it reminds me of myself. And I was like, Oh my God, is this something I could do? I I don't know. And, um, LeBras had been on team Canada and she had transferred, um, to Montreal like the year before, like in 2017. And I, I talked to her and I was like, is this something like I could do? And she's like, you could just try it. I went to a few practices in Montreal and I was just like, just engulfed and it was and it wasn't only just the derby it was just like it's like this mecca of of queer culture and I never I didn't really leave the the Ottawa League like I'm still a member of it and I'm still part of it and I still coach um in Ottawa but I just decided like I gotta like shoot my shot like I'm not getting any younger like I started derby when I was 28 years old I just turned 34 last week you know I was like there's not going to be any other time in my life where I'm going to be able to try for a div one like sport and maybe be able to do it so I left everything that I had like just built with OVRD just for the chance of like trying out for the skids and I made the the B team and I was a development athlete for um the skids in 2018 and I just had such like a great experience that year and the culture there is just getting everyone better like so fast and there's such a culture of support and then the next year I I just like really liked everyone on the team and I loved the vibe and I, I found a place for all of my like weird like all my training ideas like I love doing these like I have these in- super intricate um, training plans and knowledge from like my work and my background and stuff I was like ah I've like it's just it's such a waste of knowledge to just have it on myself so I in my first year on the schedule I was like oh I could do like some strength and conditioning stuff so I like did some like training plans and stuff like that and then the second year I was like I like I don't know I'm I could put my name in for captain. I don't know. And then I, we just like had all the, the people doing their captain speeches and stuff. And then like, just weirdly enough, me and LaBrasse, the two people who live in Ottawa, like got elected to be the captains. And like, I was, she's, she's just like such a wonderful person. And I was just so hyped about it. <laughs> I just like, I still like thinking about that moment, like bouncing off the walls. 
So, yeah, I, I guess that kind of almost brings us to now. La- last year, yeah, so last year I was uh, one of the captains of the team and we had an amazing year. There's, of course, always like ups and downs over the year and we learned like quite a lot and had a lot of leadership check-in meetings and not everything was positive. We had a lot to learn about. We restructured in Montreal last year how the B team works. And so there was like a lot of growing pains about that. And so we learned a lot for this year. And so far we're like, I think on top of all of those things. And it's just so interesting year to year in any derby league I've ever been a part of to like see how things can grow. This is the first year in a while that I'm not on the board of directors in Ottawa. I like kind of let that out of my grasp. I am one of those people that do way too many things. So I had to give up something and, and just right before giving some, something up, I'm always like, I could probably still do that. If I remember like, you know, not sleeping, checking my email at like four in the morning, like being like out with someone and like being like looking on like spreadsheets. And I was like, okay, no, that can't be like, that can't be my life anymore. That's not like the best version of myself. And I'm not giving myself enough in the way that I'd like to, to each of the things. So yeah, I think that is, that's like my entire history. What were the lessons that you, that you could share? I don't know if you want to talk about the team or, but mm -hmm. just personally. No, for uh, sure. What happened in Montreal and might mirror some aspects of things that happened in other leagues was that the Sexpos, so the B team, the skaters were also on home teams. And I know that in a lot of leagues, like all the travel team skaters are kind of mixed into the home teams and in some leagues they aren't. But with that crossover, I think it was just that because of maybe also like the amount of practice time and and space we have, like it put a lot of pressure on um, the Sexpos and kind of like it splits the focus. The, um, The Montreal home team specifically are like, extremely competitive and they and it almost they almost feel like they're also their own like they don't travel but they're that same level of like like they you know they when you go what like when I go to some home team practices in some some leagues for instance there's like a little bit more of a recreational vibe and some leagues are so big that they have like recreational leagues and they have home teams and then they have a travel program um, in Montreal, there's no rec program and there's not really much of that like rec vibe, like even on, like in every team in the league, basically. So basically being in a situation where you're being pulled in a bunch of different directions, like I think was just very mentally taxing and also like was maybe stunting the development of the Sexpos as their own kind of bonafide team. Um, so anyways, they left their home team. And then last year, um, the idea was to try and um, also have like that overlap with the the skids program and have like, cause we call ourselves like the travel team, but then they also have their like own identities and, and their, their own separate identities as well. But what happened with our practice base is that we had to always split it. And I know that there's a lot of positives to that, but there's also a lot of negatives to that. So when I was a B team crossover skater, um, the practice times for the skids and sexpos really didn't conflict that much. Like they always overlapped on one day of the week. And then um, on the other day where the skids practice, I never had to worry about which team I was kind of practicing more with kind of thing. But last year we had the practices on both the same days. And it just meant that like, like all the shared skaters 
they were, it was just like a confusing situation because they, maybe they were assigned to work with the kids one day or work with the sex with another day, but then people could be sick. And then, okay, now there's not many people like, okay, there's eight people for this team or eight people for this team. Um, and when you're both kind of trying to prep for like tournaments and like big games that are coming up, you like need the athletes and you really want them to be able to click and develop that chemistry on the track. But like both people need them. You both need them at the same time. So yeah, so what we worked really hard on in the off season was uh, developing a plan for moving the skids practice. It's been at 7.45 in the morning for quite a long time on Sunday. So I'm a little ecstatic about it, it moving. It's moving to a, a weeknight because waking up at 4.45 a.m. in Ottawa to drive to, to, drive to Montreal for practice. <laughs> Every Sunday morning for eleven months of the year, <laughs> like a test. It was like a, a mental test, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, because because there's like that very elongating season. So, yeah. So, like there was like anyway. You all created the plan prior to the 2019 season. No, well, so we kind of the league voted to restructure the program based on like some focus groups that the travel team did. But sharing all of our practice time wasn't part of it. But like Montreal is like any other city. We can't just create practice venues and practice time out of thin air. So we had a finite amount of time. So then in adding and so then taking the techos out of their home teams and adding extra practice time for them, that practice time ended up just, okay, we'll just share it with the, with the skids. And it just, it had a lot of unintended consequences. But I mean, this a lot of this happens. Like we have a lot of these problems in in Ottawa too. Like the the space that's available to us is like late Friday night and late Saturday night and early Saturday morning. <laughs> it's like okay, mm-hmm. so how do we get people to like practice twice in one day or like a Friday and a Saturday night or like you know? So it's just like all these different like we uh, both leagues that I work with. I see them like trying to problem solve for these like very universal issues in very creative ways. So yeah, the thing that, but the thing that I, I think the biggest takeaway from last year and our trying to problem solving for this year is like that practice space issue, trying to solve it was like the biggest hurdle um, that we had to create that like mental cushion, I think for the athletes, because being able to focus, if you're on two teams, being able to fully focus on the team that you're with at the time, I think is very important. And you can say like, oh yeah, we'll just all work at the same things and we'll, and we're all doing the same drills and whatever, but that's not, it doesn't address the fact that you're trying to develop chemistry with two different sets of people. And if you're there at the same time, then you're only getting it half the time. But if you had a different time, then you could, you would actually have double the time and you would have the same amount of time to devote to, to both sets. And uh, when I was developing in my first year in Ottawa and I was kind of like, I was also on the, the A and B team. I had twice the amount of practice, which was cool because I developed like very, very, very quickly. And I could also like see things at a high level that was like very scary. And I didn't understand how to execute it. And then I would go and like things were a little bit slower at the other practice. I was like, oh, this is how I can move my body. And also I'm not terrified of this person hitting me. who's been like playing for 10 years and like, yes, I'd love that challenge. But like, I'd also be able to like meet that challenge with some skill that I haven't developed yet there's this like push pull of all these like different factors that as leagues and as as athletes as coaches as board of directors members of as like committee heads like 
putting our, our heads together to try and figure out something that would like kind of, of work. And I know it's not always a solution that you can choose to be like, oh, here's like a different time that we can can practice. What we did is we formed a partnership uh, with another group um, that uses a space that we'd like to use to try and split the space. And hopefully that's going to work out how we'd, uh, how we'd like to. And I think that that'll really fix a lot of, of those, like, like the, the, all that, like, not necessarily interpersonal, it's the way, like the structural issues. The logistical stuff. Yeah. The logistical stuff that then results in like real emotional burden and Mm -hmm. like mental burden on everyone that's involved in creating conflict. Yes. No, Mm -hmm. totally. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pardon the silly question no worries. <laughs> but yeah. what does keo kenzie mean <laughs> what is <laughs> where does your so derby funny. name come from please yeah no so so the kaioken is something from dragon ball z <laughs> so i was so, mispronouncing yeah, it i'm so, so sorry <laughs> i know no 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 it's totally fine most people think that it's keo kenzie unless mm-hmm. they were like a super geek in like the 90s and like watched Dragon Ball Z and I was like bully quite a lot as a child I'm just like a I'm a weird person and I was an even weirder child and I just brought out people that like wanted to were just wondering what I was doing and would you know make fun of me or whatever like like I would bring like a full easel to school in grade five and just like, I was like, ah, I feel like painting today. So I'd like bring all of my art supplies from home and just set up in the middle of the playground and just like paint something. Just like, I was just, I was just eccentric. I'm like, just like, just I a weirdo. or baby like, Kyle. <laughs> I, I want to give her a hug and paint. I know. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Well, like, I, love well, like so I did much. this. <laughs> I was like, I would save like, the, we got chocolate milk delivery at school and I would do this weird thing in the winter where it was all snowy and I would go to the far end of the, the schoolyard and I would bury them in the, the snow and then come back the next day and like they they were popsicles and I was like of course this is an amazing idea like all of you are jealous of this amazing idea like I have a chocolate popsicle <laughs> but it was just like this super weird thing that I was doing in a corner by myself and like coming back and like I remember like there I was probably in grade five at the time and like there was like a grade one that was like what are you doing and I was like I'll show you and I was like this weird older oh kid goodness. with like <laughs> how, what did your parents how did they foster such a fascinating being <laughs> I need to know all their, think, their ways <laughs> I, I know my mom just let me like she just I think whatever I wanted to do she would just like kind of like trying to like she would never like critique me for doing anything like when I, I started out playing ringette for instance um, which is like a sport that's it's played on the same surface as hockey, but it's with a ring and a stick and it's primarily like um, a women like based sport. And because my older sister did it and I would just like be skating around in the end zone, not paying attention to the play and like spinning around and stuff. And like, like, like looking at the boards and my mom's like, I don't think this is the sport for you. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to try figure skating. And so we like <laughs> did figure skating and she came to like every single practice. Like, you know, like, like, so I run kids programs at the center where I work now. And like, you know, the parents don't want to watch everything. My mom was just there. And sometimes my grandma too, just watching me like every practice, like she didn't seem bored. She'd ask me questions about stuff. She never really got into like the, the tech, the super technical aspects of anything. Like even now, like 
in roller derby like she's like my, her and my dad will sit like they came to Montreal for champs for one of the games and like it's just so funny like he can never remember that the star on the helmet that's the person is called the jammer he's like oh you're pretty like he thinks <laughs> like oh you're pretty good like uh, what's it called the 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 prince or whatever <laughs> <laughs> he has a different uh, name uh, <laughs> for every single thing. I think my dad also. He, I need him to announce. <laughs> Can you ask? Yeah, him? I need him to get on oh my god, broadcasting, just, please. Thank just, you. Just the, the funniest thing, like so. My dad also. So if you watch me dance, and it's weird. Like I get it all from my dad. Like my dad just makes up his own. Like he does high kicks. He jumps on tables. He does like cartwheels. He does all these like snapping motions like beside himself. And he also he's like if he sees a way that you can do a thing and you don't have to do it the way that everyone else is doing it, he'll just do it. So yes. and he doesn't believe in like spending a lot of money to do a thing. So like I, my old coach actually from in the Ottawa league, he worked for my dad. He's like, yeah, your dad got mad at me today for throwing out his raincoat. <laughs> Guess what his raincoat was? It was a, a, gar- a bl- black garbage bag with like two holes. Yeah. And he's just like, why well, just throw that out? And like, that's just so me. Like my partner once I, I, I pull things out of the recycling bin all the time. I'm like, that's my this holder. Like <laughs> this, like that's your what holder? This, like whatever this, like fill oh, in the okay. blank, like this. Sure. Like so for, <laughs> so for instance, like I, I found this perfect shape thing. It was like a, a, a long type, um, long container with a lid on it that I think was filled with like cashews or something like that. I clean it out and I'm like, this is the perfect container for if I'm traveling with bananas. This is my banana holding container for traveling. And he, he like recycled it. And I was like, no, why did you? Why did you Where is my banana holder? <laughs> it just looks like garbage. But I, like, I don't want to buy something for that. It was so perfect. And like, there's just little things also on my desk at work that like they have a really specific function. And like, I saved it. And like, I don't want to buy a thing for it. And yeah, my desk is just full of like stuff that looks like junk. I'm sure people like people do like when IT comes in, like they'll throw out stuff, and I'm like, why did you like? No, oh, that's not okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I yes, how dare they? How dare they? They don't. They see garbage, but they don't know that that is the thing that was holding it's up the world. Technology, but <laughs> old yeah. fashioned. So anyway, technology so and ingenuity. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. No, and you're so actually this, you skipped ahead because I had a question about. I, that about your recycling and uh, of objects yes. and things ko that was yes that was basically like that so yes that answers that question but well, i know i need to know more to, about yeah. that though yes okay yeah <laughs> tell me so, well like what's a lesser known thing or surprising facts about like recycling you know clothes and objects and like do you have any tips to share with the people well, let me look around my room. So, oh boy, I know I just have to. <laughs> that sounded around. like the that sounded like the wind up to a very long. <laughs> let me get comfortable. <laughs> no, like I'm trying to figure out. Like, so I have a vest that I wear for derby, and actually, I started wearing it all the time. It's like it's not a jean vest like the cool people wear. I do have a jean vest, but. So one thing that I do is, so my partner works with a construction firm and they have like these, all these jeans that they use as rags. And he's like, and I, and one of my hobbies is that I like to make pockets for things because I don't like it when something's not functional. So like if I have a jean vest, I'll use these jean scraps and I'll like make a, a pocket on the inside of the vest so I can actually use it like it's 
I imagine vests should be used. They're not just a fashion item. I don't, I, I want to not to be able to have like a purse or a bag and like, yeah, I could put stuff in my pockets, but like I have a derby butt. So like putting stuff in my pockets is not comfortable almost ever. And I guess I could have a, a fanny pack, but I, I just don't want one. I, I prefer vests. So yeah. And actually, so, so wait, actually, so it's, a, so it's, yeah. you said that it's made out of different material or mm. like vests. a found material. The, oh, the, oh, a the found like jean <laughs> material. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the pockets are, but the vest itself is one that I used to have for work when I worked as like a resident fellow, which is like a floor don, like in university, like that helps like patrol the area and answer people's questions about like sexual health and diversity and stuff like that. Like, like an RA. We call those but, the art. Like, yes, yeah. an RA. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They have a lot of names. Yeah. So like that. So I, at my patrol vest, I was like, well, I don't need to throw this out. I'll just put my derby patches over the logos of the school. Oh, but I like, love you so much. I, you're, <laughs> you're, you're walking around with your repurposed college RA vest. I know, but it, like you can kind of see the university name still because I didn't cover it perfectly. And every time I wear it, my partner's like, okay, fine. I'm not going to make fun of you wearing this, but can you not wear it on dates? I was like, this is a fair compromise because I, I realize it looks like garbage. Like, <laughs> also very warm. So I wear it like in the winter. It also doesn't like, it's not the most flattering fit, but it gets, I like it and I can put a lot of patches on it. And there's just like some patch glue that I haven't cleaned off of it. And like, I love sewing stuff because I like making projects, but I'm not like a good sewer. Like I've had sewing machines in the past and I've broken the needle on so many of them. So if someone's like, wow, cool vest, like, could you do that for me? Like, oh man, I do like three pockets a year. Like, <laughs> it's like, that is my very slow pace, but I love mending things. Like I have a bag. It's like, I'm not going to throw this out. I'm going to mend it. <laughs> That's what I do when people play board games. Cause I have a lot of like board game related trauma for my family. So I'm like, yeah, I'd love to come to your board game night, but I'll sit at the table and not play it. And I'll just like, so like, oh, pockets in the thing or like oh. or men things like I love it it's Michael Melo zone I can still talk to everyone but like I'm just like sewing pockets or like oh. mending something. Oh, <laughs> so anyway I think yeah. this loops back to you're asking where my derby name came from yes but thank and, you I, I'm glad yes, we, no, no. we're covering I feel like you're doing circles <laughs> the around the, the know, questions and interviews no mm-hmm. like much mm-hmm. like that game that sport that didn't yeah. work out before that predated figure skating yes. but we're getting we're covering ground you know they're more than one way no. I get you I understand it's true, it's true. So, so, so yeah. anyway, yeah. So, so I was going to say all of these like things you can imagine, like as a child, I also had all these weird quirks and I did get made fun of a lot. And so my escape was watching Dragon Ball Z with my little sister and in Dragon Ball Z, the main character um, is Goku. And he was also in um, Dragon Ball, the, the pre um, the prequel to um, the alien that was like, he had a pod that was like sent to earth and he's just so, I, I think it's just the way that he approaches life. He just kind of like laughs at a lot of things. And he's also, I mean, he's, he's a little bit confused, but like, he's a lot like me and that like, you know, if he sees a way to do something and everyone else is doing something in some weird convoluted way, he's like, oh, I'm just going to do it like this, this way that makes sense. Like, even if it's like more simple or if other people are like looking at him weird kind of thing. So he's like happy go lucky, but he's also like the, the whole thing about the show is they all fight each other. Like they have these like massive epic fights and he goes off to like training and one of the things he learns through his training with one of his masters is the kaioken which is like you it's a brief period where you like 
you massively raise like your power and your energy and your focus. And for me, like, I think early on in Derby, like I kind of knew that I was like, that I wanted to be a jammer. And like, that's just like the Kaioken is just like that. Even and even if it wasn't just for jamming, just for like in Derby, that's kind of how it works. Cause we have these little jams and you like extremely increase your, like your focus and your power and like your precision and stuff like that. And it was just like this thing that like, I want to embody and that I feel like I can embody. I'm one of those people that like, has a narrative going in my head all the time. And like one of my very first games that I played in, in Div 1 Derby was like against VRDL. And like, like on the jam line against like Lady Trample and like and Sarah Chambers. And like, I was just like, okay. So, and like, I was just, but I'm the whole time, like with a little narrative, like in my head being like, nobody's seen me. I've never been on TV. Like nobody knows what's coming. Like, just like, just like this. Like, yeah. Sometimes from like a third person. Like, <laughs> but like, here we go. <laughs> exactly. So I like imagine like I'm powering up kind of thing. What's the what so, was it? What was, yeah. the, what was the, the the French? Um, what was French for? She knows the plan. <laughs> oh, elle sait le plan. Elle sait le plan. Elle sait le plan. No, yeah, It's all these like little narratives that I like. I think that I like looking back on my life and and in the moment and for the future. I'm always just having these like little narratives strings or whatever and I think that's why I laugh a lot when people hit me or like not not in like a bad way because it's it's actually just so much fun to play this sport and I remember being at champs in 2018 in New Orleans and just being like I'm at champs right now (laughs) what is happening like I looked up at the lights and like and I were like we're playing Rose City we're playing Angel City and I was like this is so much fun I remember just like OMG like hit me so hard and I went flying and I was like this is the best thing that could be happening right now (laughs) I love that so it's it's just like this is such a trip right yeah and I know that like if I never have, if I stop having those feelings, then I, then I would reevaluate like, okay, why am I doing it anymore? Right. What is this kind of thing? Cause yes. Cause it's, you know, it's my hobby. It's the thing that I've come to like de- either de-stress or like believe in, or I, I was reading these passages um, from someone who's doing their master's, their thesis on um, the self-actualization through sport. And it was, it was so moving actually, because it was talking about how, through sport you go through like a whole human experience like you you connect to others you create community you you know you develop yourself through like either different skills like you you resolve conflicts like you 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 end up in scenarios where you're put where your morals are put to the test and your abilities and like your mental fortitude and like so it's almost like it's like life but like compressed into these into these moments that are testing you so it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a trip. Like it's, it's something that's like, I think that it touches on why we feel like it's more than just a game. Like it is just a game, but the whole process that gets us to the game, like that's the part that is like, so all encompassing, right? Like the, like, Oh, we're creating this we, community. Like, oh, like, if you know? we take a, if we pull the zoom back on our lives everything mm-hmm. is a game right like it's all oh, just yes, like it's a, true i know mm-hmm. what makes sport any less meaningful yeah. like i think that mm-hmm. especially with derby just the the circle the the hitting the obstacles and making through and getting knocked down and picking yourself back up the the connections to to life are endless i feel now i'm with you oh no for sure 
that's yeah. fascinating. That's awesome. Yeah, it's super cool. You know, like once I click into like kind of the vibe of everyone um, and see what everyone like the what our like shared goals are, um, then it also kind of informs what my goals are. I mean, one one of like one of my training goals for the off season, I guess I can share that. That one was pretty clear. Was when I was doing a lot of my research and review, like my literature review for my Derby Stance talk that I did on brain safety in uh, November. I was looking through stuff and I was like, wow, like reaction time training is like it's it's emerging as something that's even more important than neck strength and trap strength for like helping reduce the incidence of concussions. So I've been testing a lot of stuff in the off season for like the, the trap strength and the neck strength and proprioception and activation, but then also like reaction time training. So that's something that like I personally, for selfish reasons, like I don't, I would like to not have concussions or if I do get one, have it be less severe, but then also to be able to like share that information afterwards. And there is some of this stuff that's out there, a lot of concussion research that's like that's valuable is is gate kept a lot. A lot of it's like the NFL's like internal like stuff, and then it like trickles out. But there are some some places that um, have openly published research that is useful. And looking at the meta analyses of all that stuff has informed my training plans and my my goals for like how I'm gonna like contribute to the goals of the team and myself. Like in the off season, I'm like I really want to like have sick traps <laughs> like sick like mm. neck muscles <laughs> yeah, and I've no, never I yeah I've never had good traps before and like they 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 look puny still but I've but I've never had like they're they're big enough now that I don't like a racer back like shirt or bra like is very painful for me to wear so I just kind of like can't because I can feel it's so like the just feeling it touch me so I was like yeah so we're hitting like that goal but like is that an indication of a of a like a trap having like discomfort with your I didn't know that huh well because it's just like it's um it's like if your butt was too big in your jeans and it and it's like painful like on your hips because it's pulling Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm, so I see yeah so yeah it's just the shirt so like the the material would like yeah I gotcha yeah this is this is a really great segue into brain safety and your work (laughs) with brain safety and concussion work so thank you you know we've kind of followed each other for I want to say a few months now or like maybe yeah I think so yeah quite a few months um on social media and I feel like maybe in the last couple of months, you've, you've really, you've made a lot more like threads and like talked about brain safety. I mean, I know that you've worked with, what's the name of that coaching and the uh, name? The overall Derby Athletics or Derby Stance. Yes. Yes. Or, well, you've yeah. you've mm-hmm. you've worked yeah. in various places, actually. Thank you. Yeah, and yeah, on on yeah. brain safety and uh, sort of brain education. And I think that you've also taken to your own social media accounts to talk about it recently. And you really invested in in spreading this info. So I I was like, let's talk about this here. Let's um, have this conversation and hopefully help get this message sort of on another sort of platform rather. So, um, no, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you become so interested in brain education? In and like brain? 
Yeah. Tell me all yeah. the things about it. Okay. <laughs> the history. <laughs> sure. So, you know, I, well, yeah, just, or like your work around it and well, just about, you know, brain safety culture. I think you, you, um, in the yeah. interview questionnaire and also access mm-hmm. to, to brain safety education and something that's inclusive, not only to, I guess, like a teams, but also B teams mm-hmm. and development skaters and, and that sort of thing. And everyone. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. So um, another organization that I'm that I've been um, speaking to and and um, I'm on the collaboration train with is the WFTVA, um, and um, we had a little meeting at Champs and we were kind of collaborating before that. They did a little um, interview uh, with me right before Champs. Um, it was like the WIFTA education, and my follow up to them was like. Because we can't, like, so I think the thing that the players can do and every single player in every league um, can do is, like, have a healthy brain safety culture and promote that. The coaches can, and they can wear their helmets properly. The things that they can't affect are whether those helmets were, like, designed in the best way, what the gameplay is. So some things that I asked of the WFTDA were what rule changes or consequence changes could drive safer gameplay, specifically regarding hits to the head, how can we attenuate the accumulation of both concussive and subconcussive hits over the season, such as by like making recommendations for season, season length and how the season planning is and how we can better prepare athletes' bodies for contact. So like both when they're learning the sport and established in the sport um, for, while they're like providing world-class entertainment for everyone or whether they're just in front of a home crowd um, and what's the best way to educate them about preparing themselves for that. So going back to like the the athletes, the stuff that I've spoken about for brain safety culture, um, I think one of the most obvious things is like to be non-defensive and open about talking about hits to the head and how they're happening and examining our actions at practice and how it led to a hit to the head. So it's like, okay, who is out of control or not necessarily out of control, but like what are the habits that we have personally or in certain situations like when we're tired or when we're playing a team that's like much shorter than us or whatever that caused us to hit or to make more contact with people in the head or jaw or whatever versus another situation. And just to like look at those things and become more mindful of them and create a culture where we're like, hey, we're not going to do those things. And it's not because people are bad people. It's just, it's happening. But the thing is, hits to the head cause a lot of emotions just because of the way that they do like when you get hit in the face like it causes like you know a prefrontal cortex and amygdala response like it it causes like a rage (laughs) so and then it also puts the other person on the defensive very easily because i think the the implied tone often that people perceive from that situation is you tried to hurt me and so they're saying no i didn't and of course no you didn't try and hurt them but but like the situation can still be like resolved in other ways so like that's something that like players can um get at and coaches can get at so i guess i'll back up for a second because i just started talking in one direction but like so my when i first one of my first jobs was a lifeguard so that would have been in the year uh, 2003 i guess is when i started and we do a lot of like first aid things. And I went from being a, a, a lifeguard to doing more advanced training. And then I started running the trainings and then I started running, training the trainers. And because I'm a very competitive person, I also was a competitive, I did competitive lifeguarding. <laughs> and that's basically like saving as many lives as possible that are like mock victims type thing in as, as, as short amount of time as possible type thing. 
And when I was in university, I joined the medical response team and we did a lot of advanced medical first response training. And through that, and at the time I was studying neuroscience, one of the things that I was just most interested in, um, I was interested in recovery from stroke and concussions. What was your major? What did you study? So, oh, sorry. So my major was in, so I, my degree is in cognitive science with a specialization in neuroscience. So the way that I started it was um, I went in in kind of like an open, actually an open arts degree, and it was the interdisciplinary study of the mind. And then I got, I was, I never actually had a super sciencey background besides the fact that I was really into like the anatomy stuff and uh, that came with dealing with like injuries and that kind of thing. So once I got, so my background was actually like in theater, like I was going into fine arts and then, but the interdisciplinary study of the mind was just this all encompassing thing. Like we did psychology, anthropology, and we touched in neuroscience. We did artificial intelligence and it was like, how does the brain work and why does it work that way? And how do we like emulate that? And how do we diagnose things? Um, And as I started taking more classes, then I kind of pivoted because I was also interested in, in engineering and I tried that for like a hot second, but at that time it was a very volatile environment for like a woman in an engineering faculty. So I kind of pivoted away from that and just focused on like the cognitive science. Yeah. It was like, I had spitballs thrown at me. People would kick my chair. They would fart on my head. Like it it was like, I was in a twilight. It was like, I didn't have a typical high school experience because I went to an arts high school, but I was like, this is, this is worse than like, it's gotta be like, these people are acting like they're 12. Yeah. Like it you, was you can't bad. see me right now, but my, I, no. I was, I was frozen in disgust. <laughs> my mm-hmm. face was like frozen in disgust as I heard <laughs> farting on your head. It's been yeah. horrible. Oh, I'm so it was, sorry. So anyway, the good thing is that I ended up in the neuroscience department and I was like, this is just so cool. And I went on such a deep dive into neuroscience. I used to pretty much live at the school. I designed like a, a studying program for the neuroscience program. I did my thesis on how do beliefs cause behavior, which is like a little bit of a mind trip. Um, I went through like the, the neurophysiology of it, but then also like the philosophical aspect and how that like translates into the neurophysiology of it. That sounds so, amazing. I probably, no, it was, it, I would probably understand like the title page but (laughs) that sounds so cool it was funny I did I did a seminar uh, like a public seminar for the Society for Neuroscience of Ottawa and half the people came that were like had like kind of like a philosophy background and half of them had like a just straight up neuroscience like um like science background and everyone was confused (laughs) and my my mom came too and she was just like you look so smart talking it was just so great (laughs) yeah I know I love mom (laughs) yeah it was adorable so anyway yeah so everyone was confused but at the end of university I was thinking about going to um medical school and I got into this I went to this like international vision science school and I was like, oh, maybe like I want to do my master's, I want to do my PhD. And I was starved for connecting with people. Like I come from like an arts background and I'd just been doing science for like four, five, six years. And I just kind of like had this mental like break. Like I think it was when like my purpose in life was maybe revealed to me. Like I was sitting in a philosophy class and like it was all these like, we use a lot of like very elevated language like in talking about epistemology all these things and and I just 
I used to be an INTP personality and I would be really into like debating with people and I really wanted to be right. And I remember one of the first things that changed in my personality, and now I'm an ENFP, by the way, I, I, there was, I was debating someone and they cried because I just like kept talking to them with all of my knowledge. And this is the, like, like, how could you think this way? And then I, I told, I was like bragging about it. I think to someone I was dating at the time and they were like, that is horrible. And I just had this like mirror on myself, like, Oh, (laughs) like, yeah, maybe that is really horrible. And and not that like being in university was horrible, but I had a similar moment in a philosophy class where I was like, why are we talking? Like, I get that there's a purpose, maybe a higher purpose to us talking like this and talking to each other, but it just felt so like, like we're just massaging each other's egos and like, what does it matter? And who does this connect to? And what good are we doing in the world? And I just, I couldn't go on school with not, connecting with people and I went on this whole like I pivoted I started I joined like a theater company I started bartending and I just was like I just like had this like existential like sigh of relief I'm like wow like I'm like actually like talking to like real people like I'm I'm seeing like people from all walks of life like I'm hearing about like their personal like things that affect them like I'm not just with like you know, like white upper to middle class people arguing in a room about epistemology and whatever. And like, what does it mean to have a mind? And I'm like, I like those things, like those questions I do find fascinating, but they don't, they don't like occupy me in a way with like, am I on this earth to like solve those questions? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, they don't not going you. on to no they no they don't they don't they don't like they don't serve me and they don't they don't that's a really good way of putting it like they don't nourish me in any way mm-hmm. um and so I, I also started to do I was I really enjoyed connecting with people about like their bodies and like nutrition and like feeling good so I started doing some like training like athletic training with people and I did want to become a yoga tune-up instructor so I started like that course but I just it makes me really uneasy to say that I'm a yoga practitioner I was like I'm not you know I really don't follow like this religion and I all the words they just feel like we're just borrowing them and I don't have all of the context and it was just like there was something about it that also like didn't sit very well with me and in the middle of like me doing all these like certifications for going on that journey, I got a call asking if I wanted to work with Citywide Sports, and which was a, a department, uh, the city of Ottawa, where I got to oversee like this amazing portfolio that like worked with like at needs communities and also with like a cycling program, which is where I got into helmet safety that also oversaw this like this older adult program that go on these like excursions, like 50 out of 52 weeks of the year, like hiking and cycling and um, winter hiking and snowshoeing and, and all these things. And I was like, wow, like this is such a, a cool portfolio. And one of the things is like the, the programs that we were delivering to underprivileged or priority neighborhoods where they had no curriculum. And I was like, curriculum development, like is my jam. Like, so I got to use all of like my neurodevelopment background to be like, how are we making sure that these children are developing physically through their fundamental movement skills, but also through like their neuro, like social development. So that was like super interesting in the context of these programs. And then I transferred from that 
that role into my current role, which is at an urban community center. And I run a bunch of programs there, do like skateboarding camps. I created a roller skating camp last year um, that has a little bit of roller derby in it. So that was like really exciting. And I live downtown. So it's, you know, a lot of the people that come in, they use our centers, like they have support groups. We have people also that like are renting this space that are in various like times in their life. Like they're renting it because somebody passed away or they're renting it because they have a community meeting. And it just feels like the place where like a lot of things intersect for me. Like I still, I get to mentor staff. I get to do program development. I can like plan whatever program I want. I get to look at curriculum. I get to like go out into the community. I get to get a pulse of the community. And we're in the middle of like a really interesting project uh, right now, like redeveloping programming for, for the, the downtown core. And it's, yeah, I'm just in a spot where I'm like, yeah, this is like, this is like where I need to be. And I can see how I think that someone like my dad might think that I'm like wasting, he's, well, he said it when he was inebriated, that he thinks that I'm wasting my brain and what I'm doing. Oh, <laughs> and, no. <laughs> no, no, not in necessarily a bad way, but he's just like, why aren't you a doctor? Why yeah. aren't you whatever? Like, and, because my heart, dad, uh, because I know, because my soul. I know. <laughs> because... um, it's, it's just like, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't go there. And I thought about like, okay, do I want to go back? Like I've done some coursework. Do I want to complete another degree? Do I need more letters after my name? And like, if I ever get to a point where not having the letters after my name is blocking me specifically from an initiative that I really do believe in and want to take, I'm going to reconsider it. But I just like, I don't need to be like Kyle Kinsey. PhD yeah. to like and I know what it takes to do a PhD and what you become like the world leading expert in this such a specific thing yeah. <laughs> like, I I remember that school life I remember living at school and it was not a lot of I think I have a different personality now but it, I didn't have a lot of like work-life balance how long and, have you been at the center um at this center oh when did I come I think it was and you know what? I, I transferred at the same time that I transferred to Brun- Montreal Roller Derby because transferring to the center actually facilitated me to be able to do that mm. because of the flexibility of, of um, my work schedule there. Um, so yeah, this is like my, I'm, oh yeah. So I started there April 5th in 2018. So I'm almost going to be, or 2018. Yeah. So this will be my like two year anniversary there. And I don't know if I'm like, I, I just feel like I'm in the middle of something that I need to finish. I don't like moving on from something until I like left it better than I started with. Sure. And there's just like some things in the move that like, Oh, I want to make sure that I do there. And I, I have been trying to figure out like, what am I going to do with like the next, what's my five year, what, where I see myself in five years. And like, I don't exactly know, but I feel like like my dream is like that I would that I would like to I, th- I was talking about this on Twitter recently that I would like get to train people because when I've been training at the gym recently like there's just so like many like women and people that have been coming up to me they're like oh what are you doing and like I tell them what I'm doing they're like oh I could never do that I'm like actually you could like and then I like take them through something they're like oh my god I just did it I'm like yes you did and I just I miss that about teaching because I taught for like 15 years and I don't get to do that much except for when I coach at roller derby I don't get to do it like quite that much anymore and that's like probably my favorite thing is when so I watch something click in real time from someone and we get to kind of have that like moment of celebration together and that would just be amazing I would just do that at where I would like 
do, I would, I would have some kind of like angel seed funding and do some like concussion research and apply it. Although a lot of neuro research, which is why I don't work in a lab is you have to sacrifice rat brains. It's the, <laughs> it's very depressing work. Like you have to, but yeah, that's, it, it sounds like a, a, the term for it to me just like so brutal. Like today we are sacrificing the rest <laughs> and then, and then you do little slices of their brains and then look at the, the slides and like, ugh. it's fine. I like to do, just interpret the research instead and, and, and look at it after. I don't really want to be like doing that. I feel that would also make me very, feel very disconnected from life. Um, you would have and, to. And people. Yeah. yeah well, so uh, so <laughs> yeah. backtracking a little in terms of like the concussion research and like sports, have mm. you found that any sport is like has developed like best practices or any like good model behavior in terms of in mm. your research? I think that the most money that's going into it, probably because players associations have sued them is the NFL. And they actually did have quite a large reduction in concussions when they implemented new practice guidelines and rule changes. So basically like less like intent, like you don't need to like say scrimmage all the time. Um, and that's something that could translate to, to roller derby uh, quite well. Part of your practice time is, you know, non-contact skill work because because we're not just worried about concussions. We're also worried about CTE, which results from cumulative impacts to your body, not just your head. You can basically have um, a CTE is chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So basically like these little hits that you get anytime, whether they're concussive or not. So um, whether it's just like a little shove, they basically accumulate over time. And then they're finding that when right now the, the like only mineral sur- deposits right like they're not exactly sure i don't know exactly where they're at with determining exactly what causes them it, it looks similar to plaques and stuff like that which you also see it's basically like a neurodegenerative disorder and then other types of neurodegenerative disorders would be like alzheimer's dementia where you get like plaques Lewy bodies that kind of thing like weird like yeah you like like deposits are just cells that are doing something that they don't do in a healthy brain is maybe the easiest way to to explain it so they're like tangled or yeah they have substances that are kind of like, I don't know, there's a bad word for it, gooing them together. <laughs> but then, it, when, but when you have cells that aren't free to do what they're supposed to be doing in the brain, um, there's not a lot of space in the brain. And the rest of our body is quite soft, but your skull is your skull. So this is why it's really important or really dangerous when you get hit to the head. If it's a head injury, like a, 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 a traumatic brain injury, there where the swelling is all happening inside your skull, because it's, because then it just swells in towards your brain because the skull itself is not moving. It's not swelling outwards. So that's actually how Liam Neeson's uh, wife died. She was skiing actually on a vacation in Canada and she hit her head. She um, felt okay, but was very nauseous, um, which is a sign of a major head injury. She did not go to the hospital. She went back to like their ski chalet or whatever. And I think within hours she was, there was irreparable damage and she passed away. So yeah, so that's a major head injury. So there's different types of like traumatic brain injuries you can have. So major head injury, and if you look at like the concussion recognition tool, which everyone should be aware of and you should everyone should Google, there's like red, it says red flags, call an ambulance. And it has things like like neck pain, double vision, severe or increasing headache, seizure, vomiting, loss of consciousness, deteriorating conscious state. So like these are like big flags that you're like, this could be a major head injury. There could be imminent death 
involved in these. So whenever someone, for instance, experiences like a really big blow to the head or they order the the body and they fall or they fall back on their head and they're like I feel really nauseous and they like vomit that is like a 911 call like you are taking them to the hospital because there could be something going on like you don't let them sleep that off but something like and then there's things like um like a a, like concussive hits to the body or the head um where you kind of slosh the brain a little bit basically things kind of get stretched to a point where they normally don't get stretched and research actually recently that I read last week about it is was that that in that early stage of concussion is that you overproduce or you overutilize your glucose stores so your body like basically uses up your brain's energy source much quicker than usual and then you're kind of healing you're in a healing stage and for a, a period of time after that initial concussion occurs, even if you don't have like severe symptoms, you're still in that like deficit of glucose processing, which is why second impact syndrome is so dangerous because second impact syndrome is you have, you have an existing concussion. So you have this existing stretch of your, your brain has been kind of jostled and you're not using your glucose or you're overusing your glu- glucose. It's not metabolizing enough you're not using all the energy stores that you can in the way that you need to for your brain to be able to adapt to different things that life throws at it so if you get another hit or like whether it's a subconcussive hit so like a light hit or a concussive one it can cause basically imminent death because your body your brain is already in this kind of traumatized state where it hasn't recovered yet and um, and you receive another hit and it wasn't it basically can't deal with it at all because you have systems in your brain that are in place that are like that will help you in that situation but if they're already in that like very vulnerable state they're they're no longer able to help you anymore so then chronic traumatic Mm -hmm. yeah exactly Mm -hmm. so chronic traumatic encephalopathy is like these you get these subconcussive hits over time You, you could have maybe even never had a concussion but you can accumulate, you basically accumulate trauma over time. And then these football players, that they're the ones that they've tested posthumously. So after they died, they'll do their brain scans and they have like patterns that are uh, distinguishable as CTE. So one of the things that happened uh, happens is like a lot of them, like they say, they'll, they'll have major mood changes or they'll commit suicide. So um, that's something that I'm very scared for the sport. And a lot of, you know, longtime athletes of the sport um, have been talking to me a lot about um, and messaging me. And there's things that obviously they're very, they would like to, for us to improve or know, like, and this is what one of the things that the WFTE said to me at the meeting that we had in no, November at Chance was like, you know, we want to know, should we be playing this sport at all? Or should we be playing this sport in the way, in the format that we're currently playing it kind of thing? So these are all like super important questions. One of the things that I've been following a lot, which I am excited about, but I don't feel like I can I think actually last night I I found a piece of information that I'm kind of getting ready to share, but I've been following for years the the nutritional impact, like, or the impact of nutrition on concussions. So the ways that you can kind of prepare your body for contact and for, and prepare your brain for that contact to kind of put it in a favorable position that when you have those type of concussive or subconcussive hits to the body or brain that your brain has the resources in place like the building blocks to then recover from it exactly exactly Mm -hmm. so that's something I'm super interested in that I'd like to delve into I can't go in like a million directions in my life at the the same time but I'm working I'm working on like little resource tools Mm -hmm. um, because 
yeah, we want to prevent it from happening in the first place foremost, but then like, how can we, okay. So we know the risks. I, so I, but you want to, you want to prevent them ideally, yeah. but you also want to mm-hmm. equip the brain or like you want to mm-hmm. equip, equip the athletes in a various like multi-pronged way, right. Through like education, mm-hmm. through nutrition, you just mentioned like physical training of your body, like through, yes. and also through like yeah. equipment, right. Like actual yes. um, yeah. gear. Like I would think those were some of the basic building blocks of, of trying to tackle this. Yeah. Before. Like my dream <laughs> Yeah, my dream in a project that I can share that hasn't necessarily fully started, but there's lots of like, I have so many wheels in motion. It's like a made of wheels that there should be like, there's no piece of equipment, like, or there's no helmet that is designed based on a roller derby specific impact profile because we don't have that research. A lot of this, there is research that's starting and it's uh, really awesome. And it's going to be start to be put into into motion what we do with that research. But as of right now, there's nothing that's like designed based on a on a roller derby specific impact profile. So there's no helmet that I recommend over any other helmet because there's no roller derby helmet. There there are skate helmets, there are hockey helmets. I will go out of my way to make sure people are educated about the best ways of using those equipment. But in terms of is this helmet designed for roller derby? It's like, no, it was really was designed for another sport and we can see how it probably transfers over. But like, you know, as a scientist, I can't, I, like, unless there was a study that says in roller derby, this performed specifically better. I, I don't think it's like, it, it'd be morally reprehensible for me to be like, yeah. I, you know, uh, I not endorse in good conscience. this specific one. No, of course. Exactly, yes. <laughs> no, yeah. for sure. Of course. So, no, that makes total sense. Um, yeah. So, so in terms of like making helmet safety and, and brain safety, like more accessible, mm-hmm. um, some questions that I think that helmet companies need to be held accountable for, or at least like answer to, and that I've gotten questions about that I don't have all of the answers to is helmets in different sizes aren't necessarily, uh, aren't necessarily certified. So like, say someone did it, uh, got like a certified, has a, have a certified helmet and there was a certain thickness of pad in it. And that was what the, the impact certification was kind of based on. Then if there's like a totally different pad in that helmet, it could be not certified at that. And I'm not, I'm definitely not talking about any specific brand or anything like that, but these are questions that were like thrown my way. And then Just um, like hypothetically. Yes, no, for sure. But and then there's a lot of skaters of color, especially that remove the pads entirely from their helmets and have messaged me about that. And like, is my helmet still protecting me? And I was and my, my answer is, I'm not sure. Because, you know, if you have like a lot of braids that are in a helmet or anyone with like an asymmetrical hairstyle, I've noticed that my helmet shifts, because um, I have like a shaved side only on one side. I'm like, wow, like I, this is impacting the fit. Is it impacting the fit enough that it's completely reducing its effectiveness. I would venture a guess to say that it's not completely reducing its effectiveness if it's like shifting a small amount. But I did post research on Twitter about how if someone's helmet is not fitted correctly, I think it was like a a study of 4,500 players that the severity and length of concussions that they received if they got a concussion while playing um, was much worse if their helmet was not fitted correctly. So these are like, these are, questions that like definitely need to be explored and that we don't talk about as much like I can talk about like 
helmet fitting on someone. It, and there's an, like something I've talked about before too is a lot of people in our sport are hard of hearing. So they might have like a cochlear implant or some other type of device that needs to be fitted like around the helmet in some way. And I've contacted a few organizations that are advocate, advocacy groups for um, people who are hard of hearing. And uh, one of the things they told me is that they recommend like a dial fit helmet if you need to be able to put an implant or um, a device in place and then secure your helmet. A dial fit helmet, basically it starts kind of bigger and then there's a dial that you use to make it smaller to, or to find kind of fit it in place because sometimes you need the helmet to be bigger to be able to fit properly over device. And if someone is buying a, a bigger helmet than is recommended for your, their head size, then they might not actually be protected or it might move in the case of where they're actually in the situation where they'd want to, it to be actually working for them. So anyway, yeah. So there's, That's there's so always interesting. Like I'd never even things. considered that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's like things that impact it that are part of people's like, life like their adaptive devices or like things about their their person that could affect the way that they use your, their equipment for instance mm -hmm. when you've gone like helmet shopping or like looking for mm -hmm. like are there any sort of like ground rules that you personally would look for or recommend that would feel comfortable recommending for folks just to keep an eye out i know you have that that mm -hmm. really awesome t uh tiktok about how to make sure that you fasten <laughs> yeah. the the, the, um, the helmet and, and that it fits mm -hmm. properly, but is there anything else just, you know, in terms of like when you're, when people do their shopping? Well, I think that one, like things that people message me about a lot are, I'm not sure if this helmet fits me at all. And sometimes my answer is like, I don't know if that helmet brand fits you then. So there's different brands. And I think people who have shopped for hockey helmets can attest to it um, more is that some like helmet brands or styles just don't fit certain shapes of head. And sometimes like, so if you have a helmet with soft foam padding in it that you can swap out, some people can resolve it by like putting a different size um, at the front than at the back and like playing around with that a little bit. And people were kind of shocked to, to learn that. I think a lot of people have put that into practice, but like other people were like, wow, I never even thought of doing that because you don't want it to be able to shift. You want it like if, if you're moving the helmet, the skin on your head, like on your forehead should be moving with it. Um, you shouldn't be able to slide your helmet back and forth and have it just move when it's done up. And ideally, even if like you, if you put it on before you and do up the strap, it shouldn't really be shifting around too much. For a skate helmet specifically with the, the V-shaped straps, if the helmet is able to tip back, then it means that the, the, the V-shaped strap that's at the front can be adjusted to be tighter. If the, the helmet can tip the one that's under the chin. Easily, uh, no, no, no. The, the one that's like by your ear. So the ones okay. that are around your ears. Uh -huh. So there's like, so if you think of the one that's closer to your face, that one is probably too loose if you're able to tip it back. And if you're able to tip it forward too easily, that means that the strap that's behind your ear can be tightened because you can tighten them independently. Um, and people don't always know that. And it's actually, it's kind of difficult to tighten both at once anyway. And I'm sure anyone that's tried to adjust their helmet is like, this is actually really hard. It's actually kind of good that it's hard because it means that it stays in place. But one thing that can help you is instead of trying to pull it through the clasp, take it from the other side and actually push it up and then pull it through the other side of the clasp because or else it, it can be hard and you can just sit there fighting with your helmet like forever. The one on the chin, you want one finger kind of comfortably 
sitting in there when your head's in a neutral position. And then if you take your finger out and you kind of like open your jaw and move your jaw around, you should be feeling it tugging on the helmet kind of thing. So another thing to look for when you're, you're helmet shopping is certification. So you want to make sure that your, your helmet is, is certified. Now, if it's certified, it's certified based on what in, in uh, Canada and the United States, they have a voluntary standard. So there's Snell certification, which is a totally voluntary standard. And it doesn't align with, like, there's no um, government agency that says that they recommend it. Whereas, like, in the States and Canada, there's different recommendations for certain certifications. But, yeah, Snell is one that, like, you, they hit the helmet from a lot of different angles. And they're they're testing it from, uh, for, like, integrity all around it. Most of the most of the tests that they're doing for for the certification is an anvil test. So you've seen those in like some commercials, like during derby games or whatever. So you'll see the helmet drop onto like an anvil or an anvil drop onto a helmet at a different angle, or it might be a, a certain shape of anvil. So it could be a flat one, it could be a curved one, and it's basically it's simulating like a large impact or a drop. And there's one that goes from higher, and there's one that goes from a little bit lower. But they're basically, the standard is to reduce the G-forces in those certification tests to under 300 Gs. In some of them, it's 250, but most of them, the North American ones, at least are 300 Gs. And um, 300 Gs is still, so you can get a, so Gs is like the, the amount of force that's, that's coming through, basically. So it's the, it's the energy force that's it's basically all that energy is entering, entering your brain. So um, without the um, protection of a helmet, the G-forces say from a large hit from like, say, six meters or three meters or whatever, it could be up to like a thousand Gs of force. So a helmet reducing it to 300 Gs is very good. Um, but you can get a concussion from, uh, they say around, like somewhere between 85 and 100 Gs of force. So none of these helmets, even if they're certified, are tested against uh, attenuating like concussions in skaters. So yeah, so anyway, you st- it's still important to like get a certified helmet because you still have those moments where you like randomly could fall from a standing position and hit your head on the ground backwards say like whether you're skating in a bowl or whether you're playing on a hard cement surface playing roller derby so it is important to have um, that certification but there's the the thing that I want to develop and that I want to make sure helmet companies do is send their helmets for independent testing at the VTech helmet lab the VTech helmet lab is actually specifically interested in the reduction of concussions and when they started publishing their independent reports and star ratings on helmets magically. Like there was a lot of pushback from like helmet manufacturers, but then a couple of years later, all of a sudden there's, there's these manufacturers that are making five-star helmets that are independently rated by the VTech helmet lab. So it's, it's something that right now they don't have a roller derby specific impact profile, but most roller derby helmets are skate helmets that are also advertised as bike helmets so they'll use the bike helmet testing protocol which is like it's pretty thorough they have all their stuff is like open online you can see like the type of like the impact testing that they're doing but one thing that's important to develop is that like rotational acceleration which is it's proven to be the the way that the most severe concussions can happen because linear accelerations like hitting your head kind of straight on or straight back are in general the less severe 
types of concussions. The most severe ones are you're, you're rotating, you're twisting while you're um, receiving the hit or because of the hit, you, there's some rotational violence that happens in the brain. And I, I posted recently about how hits of the jaw um, across sports, they're finding that those are kind of like the, some of the most serious hits. And that was something that like I discussed a little bit um, at Champs um, and that, you know, has been toyed around with like, do we need like a jaw protection on our helmets in roller derby? Um, but we couldn't really go halfway with that. Like you couldn't really have like a game where like a couple of people have jaw protection because like that helmet is going to injure other people in the game. So I think that the, the place to start, that they're starting right now is getting as much data, actual data from the actual sport that we play to develop, to go in and then using the results to inform different like policy and whatever decisions. I'm, I'm like, I'm a safety nerd, but I also like, I'm doing a dangerous sport on purpose. Like I, like I know all the risks and I'm like, yeah, I'm still going to do that. But you're doing it in the most <laughs> you know? informed way that yeah. you can and in the most, yeah. um, mm-hmm. like the most cautious way, I'd say. But no, my question was, yeah. you, you've mentioned the meeting that you had with WFTDA. Like, I'm mm-hmm. just a little curious, like who was at that meeting and what were the the action steps? That- yeah, I have, I'm trying to remember. So they, um, there's a representative from WFTDA um, Insurance um that was there um and let me just uh and then the compliance manager for um wfta insurance um as well and the education manager for the wfta so those were like the the four of us kind of like had a meeting and like it was a very like good like kind of excited vibe like hey we all want to do something about this like we all want this sport to be safer. We all want like the, the like nobody in this sport is like a, a professional, like people are doing, like we all love this community. We want to keep this going, but like we want, we don't want to do that at the expense of the brains of the athletes that are competing in the sport. So like, how do we make it better? How do we, um, what are the different ways that we can go at it about? So yeah. And then I had that like follow up uh, with like, Hey, here's all the things that like I've been thinking about. And we're just kind of like going back and forth about, those like about rule changes, about season planning recommendations and that kind of thing, getting healthy brain safety culture, like what's the best way to get it out to people? Um, Because I actually, you know, I have put out a lot of recommendations before and not a lot of people read like a nerdy article about brain safety on on an association website, but like a lot of people watch a TikTok. Yeah, (laughs) It's like the, it's definitely like the most hype thing I've ever done. And I kind of just did it like, just randomly like in my my living room like I was just playing around it was like one of the first TikToks ever made and it's there's been like a really good response for it so it's like and and the reason why I like it and I made it the way that I did it was to try and make it as accessible as possible so not only is it like you know it's a it's a funky cool thing that people are already like looking at but the fact that like I'm not speaking in the video which means um, that anyone can translate it into any language. It's mostly like visual based. I'm showing it just like provides, it provides an outlet where people could then like voice over it. Like, because I know that like um, visual won't be the, the necessarily the best avenue for everyone, but like providing like both. So I provided written. So then people with like a, a text to speech reader, like they'll be able to like absorb that information and as I said, like, I think that it's really important to be able to translate it. 
because it was just like, well, first of all, it's boring if I was on the camera just being like, oh, that's how you are, set your helmet. And it's not as impactful. It's not as short. It's not, it, it, it's harder to absorb. So yeah, so it's like, how do we get all this stuff out there and actually get people to kind of buy into the culture and also really understand the information so that they can make an educated and informed decision about their continued participation in the sport or about how they're participating in the sport. Yeah, no, if there's anything I've learned about communications and organizing and trying to deliver a message is that you have to have multiple entry points and multiple, you know, multiple Mm -hmm. formats Mm -hmm. for folks. So, and and they, and you, you're, you're absolutely right. It's so accessible. It's so quick and it's so digestible. And the fact that it doesn't, it, there isn't a language component to it. It's all like physical body language. That's really, Mm -hmm. that's great. Kudos Mm -hmm. for that. What do you want to talk about next? Do you want to do you want to hit me with your, your that's my jam? <laughs> no, that's true. Okay, I can quickly do like that's my jam because it's a it's just a cute like anecdote. So oh, I think okay. that's my jam that I love that happened. So w- when I was playing for CCDV in Ottawa, I was just like my whole vibe was like super silly, super joyful. Like I was always dancing on the jam line. Like I would always like, we'd have these like karaoke after parties, like, and like I would, my way of like cooling down my like body to make sure I stretch was like, I just do these ridiculous dances and be like, make sure I'm doing my lunges, make sure I'm like stretching hip flexors. Okay. Getting like at my serratus anterior, it's a bit tight. Like it was just like, it's just like dancing was like my big thing. And then I, when I transferred to Montreal, I got, I got like a lot more serious, not like I lost that joy or anything, but it was, I guess a little bit more bottled up. And then at the moment, the gold medal game at playoffs um, versus Denver, we had like uh, the, um, my bench manager, said that she wanted me to close the game. And I was like, oh my God, I get to close the game ah! <laughs> for the last gym. And then there was like an it. official review and DJ agent Meow was there and it's just an amazing DJ. <laughs> this like song came on and we all just like, just like started like busting out. We we're doing like the air guitars. It was like the longest. <laughs> oh, of course in Denver. That, that must know. be like the danciest team in, in Oh my God, it was. It was. <laughs> I remember right before that game when I realized, I was like, wait, wait, we're in the gold medal game. Does that mean we get to do a skate out? <laughs> and I never get to like do like anything theatrical anymore. And I was just like, oh, we're doing a skate out. And like somebody <laughs> actually came up to me in the hall. And I think that teams maybe usually get like a little nervous about skate outs or like oh groan like skate out and they're like oh don't worry you don't have to do a skate out and I was like what do you mean we don't have to do a skate out I already picked the song I already sent the song to the DJ like <laughs> and I like went out and like was talking they're like I oh, want to speak to oh, the manager we to <laughs> no exactly and when I actually like approached Lady Triple on the track I was like did you know that they might be canceling the skate out and she's like oh no we are not canceling the skate out <laughs> so, like <laughs> You gotta put your foot down. Like, you gotta, you gotta, st- you gotta be oh, stand no. for something. Yes. Oh, <laughs> <Life>. for sure. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So that uh, just both of those moments. I think the skate out for like that crowd at playoffs, and then that jam, that last jam of that game. Like, I mean, the jam itself was also very fun. Like, one. I mean, it's fun to like get out and get lead, and everyone cheers. But my second favorite thing in derby is chasing the other jammer, and that I got to do that. And it's just like so fun. And then we all just like hugged at the end of the gym and it was just like so exciting. 
So that was like a big, a big one um, for me for sure. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so thank you so much for your time. You've been so generous. Um, just to wrap up yeah. your self-care tip. Oh, my self-care tip. Oh, oh, it's hard. So I have like a chronic illness. So I have mm-hmm. like, I have my whole life is like <laughs> trying to like do self-care. So I try and like take a breath and like prepare as much as I can in advance for like anything that could happen. I mean, that, that probably like plays into my like weird contraptions and like found objects like things. (laughs) like, but it's like, I try and plan my food as much in advance. I try and make too much food. I, one thing that I really think is super useful that plays into self-care from sports psychology, that uh, is an activity that like an exercise anyone could do that has any anxiety is that you imagine okay this is gonna start out bad but you're gonna understand after so you imagine every possible thing that could go wrong and you and so if you're like you're ruminating on something you write it all down you write down every single possible thing you're like this catastrophic incident could happen um this could happen this could happen because maybe it'll happen maybe it won't and then you go through the list and you say what am I going to do if that when that happens and that's helped me to like visualize okay I'm going to be in this moment and like like for me, like I have a lot of like gastrointestinal symptoms or like I have arthritis and so I'm like, okay, this happens. What's my next step? And it just means that like, you know, I have this thing with me that will help me or I will have this thing beside me. I will, I'll, I'll be able to tell the coaches this. And I want, and because I've like mentally or written down what I'm going to do in each situation beforehand, I actually have a plan for every single small situation I've thought about it before and it allows me to stay calm and I probably learned that from like emergency response too but it's just like a, okay we have a plan now we can stay completely calm in any situation even if it's like this it's like a troubleshooting situation exactly it's a little troubleshoot and because you've already put yourself there mentally now you've experienced the the anxiety and worked through it ahead of time mm. and it just allows you in the moments to stay in those moments and and it allows you to care for yourself in like a more comprehensive way, I would say. So that when my self care tip is think of everything that can go wrong <laughs> and then solve it. <laughs> and it's also like a more like, I want to say like practical brain or like proactive brain, perhaps that's probably the better term, mm-hmm. you know, to mm-hmm. like, just kind of like shake out all of that irrational fear, I guess, and counteract it with something Mm -hmm. more productive and more proactive. That's great advice. And what would you like Mm. to hold space for? This is like your free space. Mm. You know, you could like, Mm. this is like your free space, say whatever you, you know, you could use it to like discuss. I mean, I feel like the last two hours have been discussing an issue, (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) something that you're concerned about, (laughs) but no, this is your free space. So what would you like to hold space for? The thing that is like very fresh in my mind and the people that I'm thinking about a lot and trying to hold space for are the people who just had tryouts that maybe didn't get like the result that they wanted Um, and I think that in general we don't always do a a great job of holding space and staying on like it's thinking of everybody who's in the room at the same time and I've made mistakes and and in this regard too and I think it just like makes it all the more salient like in my memory in that and because something that I think is a way that we can hold space that I think we don't 
always do is like those crossover skaters or those development athletes, like they have, so they're being split in multiple directions and they have so much to give and they're like just waiting for your feedback. And I think we don't always take a second and hold that space for them you know, like make sure that they're just like getting that like time of day. And even if you think that they're getting it, just like having those check-ins, um, whether it's like as a teammate, as a team captain, as a coach, I think definitely team captains and coaches like have to like that, that's like, it should be a regular thing that you're, you're speaking about or thinking about and like holding space for, because it's, you know, being in one of those, I, I've been in that position before, like in that kind of twilight. And like, you know, I have this like, those weird little like narratives that I do in my head that like God like this is gonna be so great like I mean like I'm gonna develop so much and whatever but like not everyone is in that like headspace and I can't impose that on someone else and like just like meeting someone where they're at I, I really want to hold space for that and like getting their voice into it holding space for as many diverse voices as possible so like there's always going to be naturally at practice and in team meetings and in like community meetings, there's always going to be voices that like come up more often. And like, I'm one of those people, I talk a lot. And one of the things I'm trying to hold space for is definitely being like, how many times have I spoken in the last minutes who, who are in the space that are not speaking up? What opinions and what like points of view are we not seeing and because we, we've all felt it when like you hear someone speak who hasn't spoken in a long time or who doesn't speak in general, you're like, oh, yes. Or like, oh, I'm so interested. Like I, I assumed what you were thinking, but now I like actually know, like it's just such a gift and you don't get any of those gifts unless you hold the space for them. So that's just like, that was the first thing that came to my mind. And it's just something that kind of like comes across my mind a lot. And I just like want that's what I want. Hell yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Hell yeah. Thank you. And last but not least, who is your MVP? And this could be a person, place, or thing, derby or non-derby related, Mm. skating or not skating related. Okay. So there's, there's, I'm going to cheat, even if I'm not allowed. Um, There's two. One I already mentioned is LaBrasse. She has been my teammate for like a long time. And this year we're like not teammates. And she just gave so much of herself last season and that's not necessarily why she's my MVP um she's one of those people where like no one can be like people can be talking in the room and like we don't need to speak we just need to like look at each other for a second and like we know like we just are having a moment (laughs) kind of thing like I mean we had so many meetings in our car last year with her carpooling like up to 15 hours a week and she's just like such a kind person she just kind of shows up with like her whole being for other people and it's just so inspiring but other one is my friend Katrin who's also in roller derby part of the Anchor City Rollers in in Halifax believe the name she's using right now is Big Papa on the track she's just like a oh my god like a, a community leader and just like she's just so inspiring with the way that she immediately faces conflict she's like my she's like a a superhero in this regard like if there's conflict she will not let it like kind of sit like she kind of like openly addresses it in a very accessible way and then just tries to like break it down and and give everyone a voice and then just like not let it sit and just like work through that shit and like oh my god it's just it's such a superpower I'm just in awe of her so they're both my MVPs they're like tied for my my MVP they both come from Derby they both come from like my my personal life and I Man, they're just, they're just like strong women 
like figures that like just inspire me every day. So they're my MVP for sure. Yeah, for thank sure. you. Yeah. Yeah. Is, was the Labras is Labrasta using Labraski or fresh avocado or what's the, what's what's the, the derby name these days? Um, she has many. She has many. I think she was mashed bro, bro- potato at one point. Okay, um, but she had uh, fresh avocado was like very from the beloved vine from back in the day um a lot of people when we went to the big o last year like have you ever seen the vine i know no oh my gosh okay anyone listening to this podcast look up free shavaka do the vine it's just fresh avocado with like the wrong spaces yeah it's it's like this girl like looking at like a del taco size like get the del taco they got I love it. Okay. The best, but, but she also goes by bro. And I think she might use that this year. You might've seen like lit recently the kids had a roster announcement and we're just, she and us are just, we're just heartbroken that we're not together this year. Aww. So we have like a bro and that my Twitter name right now is Kai bro Kenzie um, in homage to her. Aww. But, so, yeah, bro and Big Papa, thank you. You're <laughs> being our MVPs. <laughs> yes, thank and you. thank you, Kai Brokenzie, <laughs> for, <laughs> for all of the so things. Much. You're so awesome. Um, oh, I really enjoyed this. You. Me too. Yeah, yeah. thank this you. Great. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Moments.